Good morning. We're still filtering in. I think uh, we'll all get here. Glad you're here. If you have a bulletin, and I hope you do, you'll see that it's a veritable catalog of so many things to do this week and coming weeks. And uh, so I'd like to highlight a few of those. First of all, today, if you've been coming uh, to College Heights and you'd like to know more about us, we have a lunch planned for you right after this worship service. We'd like for you to join us and uh, I'd like to spend that time with you. Also today at 4 o'clock, there's a meeting for those who are going to Zambia and or to Portugal. Have a missions team meeting. We'd like to have you be here at 4 o'clock. You need to be there. This weekend, um, we have a youth evangelism conference for our teenagers. It'll be over at Boyd Avenue. Um, And so it's a $10 event. Please encourage your teenagers to go. And and teenagers, please go. Those are always incredible and wonderful. We're having a church work day on the 29th. We're going to paint these walls. And um, so come prepared. Bring your rollers. Bring your brushes. Most of all, bring your, your good attitudes, right? Also this weekend on Friday, we have Secret Church. I'm curious, how many of you have never heard of Secret Church? Okay, let me tell you what it is. From 6 o'clock till midnight, we will come and we will spend this time with each other um, and with uh, the leadership of David Platt by uh, video and live streaming, and we will go through the book of Jonah together. Uh, It's an incredible, intense event. And while we're doing that, we will be praying for the persecuted Christians across the world, and we're going to focus on those who are in Iran. So I'd encourage you to be a part of that. There's a QR code. You can take your phone and register for that. Um, We already have your books and materials, so you'll just come and bring some delightful munchies for me to eat, and then we'll enjoy that time. Also, it's time to begin to think about summer camps, be praying, um, and see what your involvement should be with with that. If you need to be helping out, if your kids or uh, you need to go. And then also next Sunday, right out here in the foyer, we're going to have a lunch for those who are interested in having or being a part of um, a cultivate group, which is a home Bible study. It's meant to intensify our fellowship within the body of Christ that is College Heights. And so love for you to come if you're interested in hosting a, a Bible study in an ongoing way in your home, in your neighborhood, or if you're wanting to lead one. Uh, so we invite you to come and be a part of that. You'll find some flyers. One of them is for our missions conference that is coming up. And please be praying for our speakers, for the Scots, for uh, Pastor Shinde and Pastor Monisa. Um, they're coming and they're going to share God's word with us. This is an incredible time. I want you to be a part of everything that's involved in that week from our times that uh, we have a round time table discussions to the times that we'll worship together and hear God's word. Also, the ladies retreat is coming up. Pay attention to that. There's a QR code as well on that that you can go ahead and register. And please don't forget, there's a table out here where you can sign up to help out with Vacation Bible School. It also has a QR code. It's a time when we get to reach out into our 
community, through our children in an incredible way. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to make disciples uh, and reach families. So please be a part of that. I think that's all I need to announce. Uh, Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here. Thank you for loving us. Making your love known to us. God, I pray that as we um, shift our focus away from things that are coming up to what you're doing right now in our midst, that you would be pleased as we give our hearts to you, as we intentionally um, worship you, give you gratitude and praise as we yield to you. Move in our hearts, God. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Standing up and reading God's word together. Read with me. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's hear this in Spanish this morning. Y el Dios de esperanza os llene de todo gozo y paz en el creer, para que abundéis. En esperanza por el poder del Espíritu Santo. Amen. Let's turn our eyes to our Savior who came to give us hope.
this morning. Sing of our Savior who sought us with love. He sought me, weary 
That sounded pretty good, didn't it? <laughs> Isn't God good? Yeah, that's right. Let's uh, have a word of prayer together. Uh, this morning we want to 
I'd like us to focus on uh, the islands of Cape Verde. If you don't know where Cape Verde is, it's um, due west of Mauritania. And everybody knows where Mauritania is. <laughs> Check out uh, Western Africa, and it's out in the ocean, you know, just a few hours, not too far. So, anyway, Cape Verde, there's some islands that the Portuguese uh, had controlled for a number of years. Now they're their own country, Cape Verde. But it's uh, a mission field. And our uh, pastor, um, Mario and Gyro from Lisbon, people, uh, our team is going to serve this summer. They actually go and do missions down in these islands. Uh, they're training pastors down in Cape Verde. So let's, let's pray for Mario. They were just down there this last week, and maybe they're still there. I'm not positive, but let's pray for the ministry in the Cape Verde Islands. Uh, they, they go to one called San Vicente, like St. Vincent, San Vicente. And uh, I'm sure we need to pray for God to do a work in those islands. Uh, they they fly in. You can go by boat. You can you can fly into the capital of some, of those islands called Praia, but then you can take uh, uh, boats to these different islands. But they're like twelve hours on boats that could sink. They do occasionally. They're, it's pretty rough waters, I guess. But let's pray for God to do a work in that area. And we've got a missions conference coming up on May 7th. That's just a few weeks out. And we'll have missionaries here that we've been praying for. We've got an Indian pastor coming, and we have one from uh, Zambia. And also our own, the, the Scott family, will be here. So you don't want to miss out. Be a part of missions. And uh, this summer we've got teams going out. So be praying for our own people that are going out to serve that God would do a, a powerful work through our people, both over there and in our own lives. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for missions. I just pray for um, Cabo Verde, uh, Cape, Cape Verde Islands off of Africa. Father, these are people that we, most of us haven't even heard of before. Yet you know them intimately. And you know that who, who are believers there the pastors and the churches. Not that there's a great work going on. It's probably a very, very basic. Yet, God, you're at work there, and you're bringing people to Christ. Father, help us to be a part of that through prayer at this time. May, may you just do a powerful work. Thank you for the mission work from uh, Lisbon that's going into these places. They speak the same language, Lord, and and they can reach those people. So may the Holy Spirit be at work through them. Thank you now for our missions conference. Thank you for our service this morning. Pray that uh, uh, just be powerful in our lives, your word. Use Pastor Mike just to, to share what you have for us today. And may you get all the glory. 
And as we give the offering, Lord, may you receive that also for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take. so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sealed the promise, you're buried. 
Amen to our Savior, our living hope. Um, I love this prophecy. This is a prophecy about our Savior. 700 years before he would come, and I want us to read it together, but as we do, I want us to think about how much of this we share with him as his followers, how much of this we're called to do as well. Certainly not all of it. Some of it applies just to him, but some of it certainly applies to us. Let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. May that be said of us, that we call out good news to the captives, good news to those around us, and that we actually have some good news to proclaim. One, two, three. Come out, brother. Come out, sister. That grave was just a bed. See the dawn drive out deepest darkness. Guiding you to walk in faith each step. Come, you hungry. Come, you thirsty. And taste the bread of life. So good. Let it fill you. Let it thrill you. His well will not run dry. Isn't it good? Isn't it good? 
Come, Lord Jesus, we're longing for our future home. And you've commissioned, put us on mission to proclaim this truth to lost and hellbound souls. To lost and dying souls, yes, good news. Seeing the wretched redeemed, seeing sins filled, washed clean, seeing enslavement free. We've been justified, we're being sanctified. Is good news. All right, kids. Go super church, third grade and under. Man, even a little bit of clapping, geez. You guys are out of control. So welcome. Glad you're here this morning. If you're new with us, glad you're with us. My name is Mike Cooper. I'm a senior pastor, and man, we're just celebrating Christ. Last week was awesome. If you were with us last week, just a chance to just worship, worship Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and just celebrate. And, you know, it's, it's always kind of an interesting time after Easter. It's for me in particular, maybe for you, you know, it's kind of like this big buildup and then you just kind of settle back into your regular life, you know. But that's really what Christ is. I mean, He's our regular life. He's every day. He's for us in the good times. He's for us in the bad times. He's for us, you know, when there's a focus and when there's not. I love that he's our savior and I love that we can walk with him. But one of the things I, I realize, you can, if you want, you can turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, we've been in Matthew and we took some time off to go look at Easter, look at Christ, look at the blood, look at you know, sacrifice, all the things that really make a difference in our life. But, but one of the things I realized as I, as I jumped back into Matthew was that, I mean, there's a lot that needed to be done and had to be done in preparation for the cross. <clears throat> and I don't mean that like God had to do the big things necessarily, which he did, sending his son into the world to become a man, etc., and die, but just the battles, the battles that had to be fought from Christ to bring himself to the cross. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't an easy thing. Uh, if you'll remember a while ago, it's probably been six, seven weeks ago that we were in Matthew, um, we really talked about, you know, him riding triumphantly into Jerusalem. And, and yet that riding into Jerusalem was somewhat offensive to the religious leaders, right? Here's these guys singing Hosanna, you know, to the son of David, save us, save us now to the Messiah, basically. And they're laying their coats on the road before him and they come into town and, you know, it wouldn't be a normal thing. You weren't really supposed to worship anybody but the living God in Israel. And here's this man riding on a donkey that they are saying, basically, save us, you know, save us in the highest. And that was pretty shocking to his followers 
That was a great affirmation and a great joy, but to those who didn't know him, pretty offensive. And then he gets into Jerusalem. He's, he's days, days away from the cross. And he goes into the temple. He drives out those that are changing money. He drives out those who are selling animals. He tells them, you've made my house, my father's house, a, a den of robbers when it should be a house of prayer. You, you think that wasn't offensive? I mean, then he goes out and he prays with his disciples. He actually curses a, uh, a fig tree and it dies on the vine right there while he's looking at it because it didn't produce fruit. And it's, it's really this picture of what's going to happen to Israel because they haven't produced the fruit of following Christ. And I mean, Jesus is kind of ramping it up, right? He's, he's told them, I've got to go to Jerusalem. He's told them several times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go to Jerusalem. When I get there, they're going to arrest me. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to pull my, the, beard, the hair out of my beard. They're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. He's told them. So we are really coming to Matthew 21 and to the end of, of Matthew. We're really at this climax of Matthew's letter, you know, of what's happening, bringing Christ to the cross, to salvation. But, but what really struck me as I was preparing for this message this morning is that, you know, you and I, we've got to come to the place where we realize that there's some work to be done from us for the gospel. And it's not, always, it's not always easy. Matter of fact, many times it's harder than we really want it to be because standing for Christ today is probably tougher than it's ever been before in my life and my ministry. I mean, speaking to people about Jesus, man, they'll just flat tell you many times, we don't want to talk about it, we don't believe it, be quiet. Sometimes they'll persecute you, mock you, do whatever. But, but man, when we look at Jesus, we have to see what God's doing and kind of how he calls us. Matter of fact, I thought of a verse this morning during first service that, that I read for them, and it's out of Colossians 1, 24, and I'll read it and then we'll get into our passage, but it's always been a powerful verse to me. It says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's a pretty crazy verse. And I read it because I'm, I want to kind of incorporate what Christ is going to do and we look at this passage this morning and, and how that affects us. But Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So he's not saying I rejoice in my sufferings. He's saying I'm rejoicing in my sufferings because my sufferings benefit you, the church at Colossae. Now, that's a big deal, right? Because if we're going to suffer, we need to suffer for the good of someone else, in particular the church. And he says, and I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. And this is the interesting part for, to me in filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. In other words, Jesus' death on the cross secured salvation to all who believe in him. But the work that continues to need to be done in the church to build up the kingdom of God, to build up other believers within the church, requires some afflictions. There's still some afflictions to be given on behalf of the body of Christ and on behalf of the kingdom of God. Now that's humbling, isn't it? 
I don't know anybody that's going to walk out in the hallway and sign up for afflictions. Well, it's VBS. I don't know if I call it afflictions or not. I'll leave that to you. But thinking of that now, I want you to turn over to Matthew 21. And we're going to talk this morning about challenging the challengers. And so look at verse 23 with me. Matthew 21, 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. He also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for your love for us, for your plan, your will to send Jesus to live a sinless life, to willingly lay down his life on that cross as a sacrifice for our sins and to rise from the dead on the third day. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, that you did that for us, that we might be forgiven and have eternal life, and you are amazing. But Father, the, the road to the cross, it was never easy for you. It was never just a simple path. <clears throat> you found opposition. You had spiritual warfare. People not only rejected you, but hated you and persecuted you, even to the point of death. Lord, none of us want to be hated. But to love you, to walk in your ways in this world, comes at a cost. And I ask, Lord God, that as followers of Christ, we would be willing to serve and even to lay down our lives for others to come to know Christ. And as we open your word this morning, I pray that you teach us about who you are, about your strength, about your wisdom about how you were uncompromising in a broken world. And I pray that you would draw men and women to Christ and salvation and strengthen your church, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this kind of simple beginning, right? Jesus has gone in and cleansed the temple. He's rode in with people praising his name. He's kind of bucked the system, if you will. And so now the, the system... The religious leaders who 
would have deemed themselves the right ones, the holy ones, the powerful ones, the influential ones, the protector of the temple, if you will. They come to Jesus, man. They're, they're going to shut him down. I mean, he is doing some things that he ought not be doing. And they basically ask a very simple question of him designed to shut him down. And the question is this, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? It's really kind of simple, right? In their minds, they're the authority. In their minds, no one else has the right to, you know, influence others. No one has the right to certainly drive out the money changers and the ones that are selling animals. And they're not, he's not, no one else has the right to make comments of what should be done in the temple. I mean, these guys are in control. And, and if you lived in that day, they would have been the, the most holy, if you will. They would have been the ones that knew how to pray. They would have been the ones that kept all the rules. They would have been the ones that kept all the law. They would have been the ones that were teaching. They would have been the influencers. And so here's this upstart guy that all they know is that he's from Nazareth in Galilee, a place of nowhere. He's been making a ruckus around the country, but this is getting ridiculous in that he's in Jerusalem and wreaking some havoc on what they would deem their territory. And so they say, by what authority are you doing this? And who gave you this authority? Which is kind of funny, by the way, because he's God standing there and he has all authority. But anyway, they don't know. They don't believe. So Jesus said, I'll ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. And this wasn't necessarily uncommon in a rabbinical kind of discussion, if you will, debate, if you will. It wasn't inappropriate to ask a question after the first guy asked you a question. So then he says, um, the baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? Now, I, I, I truly love to read about Jesus's questions. Jesus's questions are awesome. I wish I was as gifted at asking questions as Jesus was. Because Jesus would ask you a question and you suddenly found yourself in some deep waters. Most of the time you find yourself in some trouble because he was going to make you answer a question that would show you and others who you are. And that's exactly what he's done here. He's going to ask them a question that's going to expose them for what they really are, which was hypocrites. I mean, hypocrite just simply means you're not who you claim to be. It's like wearing a mask instead of your real face. You're just trying to fool yourself and somebody else. And, and he says to them, you tell me this answer and then I'll tell you where my authority comes from. And the question he said was, where did John the Baptist's authority come from? Was it from heaven? Meaning was it from God or was it from men? And, and these guys immediately knew they were in trouble. They couldn't just give an answer because they were liars. They, they were hypocrites. So they say to themselves as they discuss this question, well, if we say it's from God, then he's just going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? I mean, if God has given John the Baptist, you should have just gone and done and followed the message and the preaching of John the Baptist and done what he called you to do, which was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we didn't do that, so we can't say from God. And then they go, but if we say from men... The people consider John the Baptist a prophet, and man, they're going to know that we're ridiculous. So the cowards that they were go, uh, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, 
then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things, even though he basically had, right? He's basically begun to shine the light on John the Baptist because he knows where John got his authority. And if they had said from heaven, I believe Jesus would have told them, well, I get my authority from the Father above. But they were such hypocrites and such cowards that instead of exposing themselves for what they were, they just went, I don't, I don't know. Well, look what, look what Jesus does because he, he doesn't really stop there. Like Jesus has some things to say. You know, the people that live their life today and claim that, that Jesus is innocuous, that he never stirred anything, that he never stood anywhere, that he was always just kind of this simple, peaceful guy that never rocked the boat or caused problems. I've never read the Bible. I certainly don't know who Jesus is because Jesus is about to take these men to a place where they didn't want to go and they needed to hear it. So he says in verse 28, but what do you think? He's about to tell them another parable. What do you think, men? And he says, a man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. So the parable's simple, right? It's, it's very common, this father has a vineyard. He has two sons. He says to the first one, hey, son, go work in the vineyard because you put your feet under my table and I expect you to go. And the boy went, uh-uh, dad. But felt bad. Later on, it went. Second son says the same thing to him. And he's like, yep, yes, sir, I'll go. But he didn't go. I mean, it's not uncommon, right? If you've had kids... Although I really, man, uh-uh, dad, mm, it's a tough one. Like, I told you, boy, anyway, apparently the Lord's a little more patient than I was. And so he tells the parable, and then he asks another question. I love his questions. He simply says this, which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said the first, obviously, the one who went and did it is the only one who did the will of the Father, even if he said no. But what Jesus does next is, is shocking. Because he says to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him and you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. I mean, you think Jesus was setting them up a little bit? You want to play with the Son of God? Bad idea. Bad idea. Because Jesus then applies this, this lesson to them and he says hard things. He says the tax collectors and the prostitutes will enter into the kingdom of heaven before you, religious leaders. Now he's, he's applying to the tax collectors and the prostitutes 
the first son. The first son. The first son said no, rebelled, but then later felt bad and went and did, right? Now, the tax collectors were the most despised people in Israel. They were basically um, betrayers. They were basically uh, those that would, I don't know, choose money over their own country. And they would actually collect taxes for Rome, and they would actually cheat people when they collected taxes, and they, they literally were despised by those in Israel. They weren't even allowed to worship in the synagogues. They weren't really allowed to be a part of the economic system. But they didn't care because they were robbing from their people and they were wealthy. So these guys were hated in Israel. And the prostitutes, right, they had fallen into sin so far they didn't even have any value in their own eyes and were committing immorality and just, they just broken, sinful, needy people. <clears throat> and Jesus says to these religious leaders, the worst of the worst are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven before you. And he's not talking about the fact that these religious leaders are going to come later. It's not what he was talking about. He's basically saying, these guys are going to get in, and you're never going to get in unless you do what they did, which is repent. Now listen to what he said. He's, remember that first question? By whose authority? And then he asked him, you know, well, what about John's authority? Well, he's going to reveal more here. In verse 32, it says, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. And that, it's not just talking about John's way of operating. It wasn't just that John was a man of integrity. He was. But the way of righteousness he's talking about is John's message. John's message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You've got to repent if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, Christ is coming, right? It's coming through him. His message is exactly the same as Jesus began to preach when John was arrested. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's saying, John came in the way of righteousness and the message of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Now, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven if you don't come through the gospel. It's just not going to happen. There's one way you come to Christ. There's one way you come to, to have a relationship with God. There's one way to have eternal life. That's through Jesus Christ. You're not going to come any other way. And you guys did not believe him. And he says, and I love this, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. In other words, when John came preaching the gospel, the good news, they repented. They hadn't believed, but now they do believe. They'd said no, but when they heard the truth, they said yes, and they went out and followed Christ, right? They followed the message that John was giving them about Christ. They were the first child. You guys said yes, supposedly to God, but you didn't believe him. You didn't believe his message. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that John's message was from God. John's message was from heaven because those who believed his message, they entered the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is answering the questions, but he's exposing these men. Matter of fact, he says, you even saw the tax collectors and the prostitutes repenting. And when you saw it, you didn't even feel remorse about it. So I asked to believe him. 
In other words, what he's saying is, you guys didn't even see yourself as sinners. You didn't even see yourself as sinners. You're seeing these sinners, these broken, needy people, repenting because God has made a way of salvation for even the worst of the worst. And when you saw it, you didn't even feel remorse about your own sin. You're such hypocrites that you wouldn't even repent when you saw God offering life to the worst of the worst. And man, I got to tell you, that's that's so revealing to me. I mean, there's so many people today in this world that when you talk to them about Jesus, they go, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I, I know God. Yeah, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Except there's never been one shred of evidence in their life that that's true. There's never been repentance. There's never been anything that would show that there was a life change because they realized they were sinners and they needed a savior. I mean, that's what we celebrate at Easter. We celebrate this incredible salvation. We celebrate this incredible gift. We celebrate the cross. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the fact that we can have eternal life. But so many people, they don't celebrate Christ. They don't celebrate the life they they claim to have been given. They have nothing that shows that Christ is in them. Matter of fact, when John the Baptist was preaching before he was killed, it says in Matthew 3, 7, and 8, it says, but when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, the way that you know, you and I know, that we have eternal life is that we turn from saying no to God to then going and bearing fruit for God, to go living for God. There's evidence in our life that we have had a heart change. We've had a life change that Christ Jesus is Lord. I mean, to walk around this world and say, I believe in God means absolutely zero. It means nothing. James tells us faith without deeds is dead. He says, show me your works without your faith. I'll show you my works by my faith. I mean, you cannot claim to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and not have evidence of that transformation in your life. And here's Jesus. He's living in that realm, if you will. It was an intense place. Jerusalem was supposed to be the most holy place. The temple was there standing. And these guys were the key to it, they said. The religious leaders of Jesus is taking them to town Man, he's standing there literally bringing the heat to these men, saying to them, tax collectors and prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, and you're not. Wow. Man, you you talk about, man, strength. You talk about courage. Uh, You talk about fortitude. You talk about living a life that is unashamed of truth at your own expense, right? Do you see this? I mean, Jesus is purposely confronting these challengers. He's purposely challenging them in what they're saying. The other night we were in WBI and we had a guy come in about halfway through our teaching and and you kind of know sometimes that there's going to be some flack 
And so he comes in and immediately he just starts saying, well, that's not true. And that's not true. And I was like, look, this is what it says. This is the truth. And this guy says, well, I was a youth pastor and I've read that Bible cover to cover. My flesh in me wants to go, so? I've been pastoring before you became a youth pastor. I've been pastoring since you were a youth pastor, whatever. I didn't say that stuff. Flesh wants to. But I really did, I really think to myself, you're saying so. You used to be a youth pastor. Why aren't you still a youth pastor? Why aren't you still reading the Bible cover to cover? Why are you in here causing problems for those who want to know about Christ? Why? And all I did say to him was, no, that's not true, and this is true. And he got up, slammed the door, and left. You think you're going to walk through this world speaking truth about Jesus and not have to challenge the challengers? You, most of us want to walk through this world as Christians, and we never want to have a confrontation about Jesus. Isn't that true? And trust me, I do not like confrontation. I, I don't like it. I don't know anybody that does, and if you like it, you're probably fairly foolish in your approach to life. What in the world would we want to have confrontation for? Why did Jesus have confrontation? Because he was moving things toward the cross. Don't you see? These things had to be said. These confrontations had to be brought about. He's literally moving these angry hypocrites to the place where they're going to arrest him and they're going to mock him, punch him, put him in prison or jail overnight and then hand him over to the Romans to be crucified the next day. He's moving it toward that. Do you not know that you and I standing and uncompromising the gospel moves us and the world to where God wants it to be. Do you not see that? Do you not see the need for us to speak truth? I'm not saying let's leave here and be obnoxious. Man, I was kind to this guy the other night. I never got upset about it. I I never in any way was offended by it, but I wasn't going to compromise. Do you not understand that you and I have to stand for truth in order for people to be confronted about their need for Christ, in order for God to do a work in their life and the other lives around them so that God will bring this world to where it needs to be. You and I need to stand. But we're so, in so many ways, afraid. We're afraid somebody's going to not like us. We're afraid we're going to offend somebody. I've said this so much. You're going to offend somebody somehow. It might as well be with the gospel. I mean, you just want to be offensive on your own, that's on you. But if you speak truth to people about the gospel and they get offended, that's on them. And I'm not trying to be mean. But gosh, I got to tell you guys, the church in America, we don't, we don't want to stand about anything hardly anymore. Jesus, to his own detriment, was standing because he needed to stand. These guys needed to hear this truth. And he was moving them to the place where they needed to bring him to the cross. Have you not, have you not heard what the Bible says? That unless you're willing to take up your cross 
daily and follow me, he says. You're not worthy of me. Those are powerful words. That means pick up your cross, walk like you're going to die for his sake, and follow him. And if you don't, you're not worthy of him. Jesus was literally willing to take up his cross to follow the Father that we might be saved. Now, if we're going to be like him, we better be ready to, right, confront these guys that don't want to hear the truth. Well, let me finish. Read on with me. Verse 33 says, listen to another parable. So he's continuing on. There was a landowner in a, who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it, built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And the harvest time approached. He sent his slaves to, do, to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took the slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. When the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And it says, then, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Now, before I read this next verse, let's just talk about this. This is simple again. This would have been a very common thing, right? This man, landowner, took his land, worked it, would have planted the vines. Probably takes about four years for those vines to be ready to produce grapes. In that time, he built a wall around it to protect it from wild animals getting in. He dug a wine press where they would put the grapes and they would trample down the grapes to make the grape juice, which would then make the wine. He put a tower in it so people could guard it and keep things safe so it wouldn't be attacked. He did all these things, and when he got done, he rented it out to these guys, and they would have made an agreement that said, at harvest time, you get so much of the produce, and I get so much of the produce, all is well and done. Goes on a journey. Time comes to have the produce, sends his slaves, and these violent men... These violent, arrogant, rebellious men, right? They beat one, kill another, and stone another. That's incredible. I mean, what kind of people do this? So he sent some more. We think of slaves, and sometimes we just, we think that they were just expendable, but they weren't. They were they were people many times loved by the landowners. It wasn't without loss. He's already lost two. One's been beaten. Now he sends a bigger group, thinking the bigger group will intimidate these guys, and they won't beat them and kill them, but no, they do the same thing to the second group. And so Jesus is teaching them a lesson, right? He's, his parable's about a lesson. He says, the landowner says to himself, I'll send my son. They'll respect my son. My son will represent me directly. What he speaks is what I would speak. What he does is what I would do. He is my representative. He's my legal, if you will, representation of myself. And the vine growers, the renters, they go, look, it's a son. If we kill this guy, we'll get this property for our own. We'll take his inheritance. That's what it would have been his inheritance is that property. So not only are they arrogant and violent, but they're greedy. 
And so they kill the son. They throw him outside the vineyard and they kill him. It's incredible. And then Jesus asks another question. Verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And again, he exposes them. In verse 41, they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. These men who this parable is about, who the parable before this was about, they state their own fate. Those wretched men will come to a wretched end, meaning a destructive, judgmental, harsh end. And he'll give this property, this vineyard, to someone else. It's this incredible revelation that they can't even see about themselves, and yet they're about to. Because you see, the vine growers were the religious guys, right? The vine growers were the religious guys. The son is Christ himself. The slaves were the prophets that had brought the message to these guys over the years, over and over and over again. They'd killed them and, and put them in jail and all these things. And these wretched men that were sitting there trying to stop Jesus, rejecting him as a son of God, refusing to believe him as a Messiah, were the ones that were about to kill him. And when Jesus said, what should be done to these guys? They were like, ah, they're wretched. And they should go to a wretched end. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't, doesn't back off at this point in time because he needs them to know. And I want you to hear this. People need to know truth in their life. And so he says in verse 42, did you never read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it's marvelous in our eyes. And so he begins to move them now to some truth. He says, haven't you ever read, which would have been offensive to these religious leaders. Of course we've read, you know, of course we know. Psalm 118, 22. So didn't you ever read that that stone that the builders rejected? The ones that should have known who he was. The religious leaders in Israel should have known who he was. The ones they'd rejected. He became the chief cornerstone on which the whole kingdom, the body of Christ is going to be built upon and out from. He's going to be this, the one thing that secures it all together. Did you not know he was going to become a chief cornerstone and it was become, it's going to become marvelous in our eyes? This thing that God is doing is so good. Did you not know this has to go this way? And then he says... Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. You think Jesus didn't speak tough things? He looked at these religious leaders who thought they were the most secure people in all the world concerning the kingdom of God. And he says, this kingdom is going to be taken away from you. 
It had to do with more than just the religious leaders. It had to do with all in Israel who was going to reject Jesus Christ. And he says it's going to be given to a different people who produce the fruit of it. Don't you love that? These guys had not been producing fruit. They'd not gone to work in the vineyard like God had called them to. They'd not been living for the Lord the way they had called them to. And so God's going to give it to a people talking about those who would believe in Jesus Christ and who would then live for Jesus Christ and produce fruit. It's so important. Man, so many people are preaching today that if you want to get saved, just pray a prayer. Just get baptized. Just do something. It's not that big a deal. You know, go to church. I mean, any church will do. Any religion will do. Whatever. Just, just do something that says, hey, I, I want to have eternal life. But that's not true. If you're born again, then you're going to produce fruit. If you know Christ is your Savior, you're going to have a changed life. Let me read John 15, 1 through 8 for you because it's so clear about it. It says, I'm the vine, this is Jesus, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, it's not, it's not happenstance that, that Christ is telling to them, I'm going to give this kingdom to a people who are bare fruit in repentance for this kingdom. It's not happenstance. He's telling them that my Father's glorified when you bear fruit. And we could talk about whatever kind of fruit, sharing the gospel so that people will be saved, talking about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. I mean, whatever fruit you want to be, the fruit that glorifies Jesus Christ, man, that's what happens when we know Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, then we're stumbling over the chief cornerstone. If you stumble over him, you're broken. If he falls on you, like if you reject him, and he has to fall on you in judgment, you're broken to dust, like dust in the wind. Man, that's a, that's a message, isn't it? I know that for most of us, that is not the message we want to share. But man, if we are not speaking truth to people, that to reject Jesus Christ means for you to have eternal condemnation, if we're not speaking that to people, we're doing them no justice. We're doing them no good. I, I know we want to have Easter every day. God loves us. He forgives us. We'll have eternal life. But that doesn't mean anything to anybody if they've not recognized their their own personal sin and the consequences of their own personal sin, that salvation is cheap. It means nothing. But man, if we'll speak truth to people, that they're rejecting Jesus Christ. He's the one that everything's built on in the kingdom of heaven. 
and he's the only way to eternal life. If we speak truth to them, yeah, they might persecute us more. They might prosecute us. They might hurt us. They might hate us. But at least they'll know the truth. I mean, it's a personal thing to me. And the the Old Testament, I believe it's Ezekiel, where God prophesies and says that you're the watchman on the wall, right? You're there to warn. And if you see the enemy coming towards you and you sound the alarm and the people in the city don't go for safety and they die because of the enemy, it's on them. The blood is on their hands. But if you're on the wall and you don't sound the alarm and these people die because you didn't care enough to tell them, their blood is on your hands. And how powerful is that thought? I've had people say to me many times, how, how can you just speak so succinctly, so clearly, so in your face? And, and quite honestly, my answer to them every time is, I don't know any other way. What, what is there to offer if I don't offer truth? What is there to offer if we don't speak just the facts of what God's word says to us and call people to the reality that yes, there is a life to be had in Christ Jesus, complete forgiveness, absolute restoration with God, eternal life with no separation from God and no one can separate you from him. That's true. But the opposite side of that is just as true that to reject Jesus Christ means to have condemnation forever and ever and ever and ever in the second death, the lake of fire. Is it costly? Yeah, it is. It's just costly. It'll wear you down. It'll break your heart. It'll cause you grief. Sometimes it'll make you angry. Sometimes you'll get hurt. Who knows what's going to happen? But if you love Christ and you love others, shouldn't we be like Jesus? Shouldn't we challenge the challengers? Shouldn't we speak up? Well, listen to what it says, verse 45, when the chief priests, the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. They didn't miss it. Jesus didn't lose them. He took them right to the place where they realized we're we're the second son. We're the vine dressers. We're the wretched ones that deserve to be taken to a wretched place. They didn't miss it. And they didn't repent. They didn't repent. They just got madder. If they could have seized him, then they would have. But they were going to have to wait a few days to get some more people on board. And then they were going to seize him. Yeah, yeah, there's some hard things. Jesus spoke hard things. He spoke truth both on the good side and both on the judgment side as well. And, and he did that because he was moving this place to where he was going to go to the cross for us. Folks, we need, to, we need to take a good hard look at what we really believe about Jesus. 
what we really believe about Easter. Because, man, if Easter matters to us, if his death and resurrection matters to us, then there is no more powerful message on the planet. And we need to be sharing it even at great cost. You know, if you're here, you've never shared Christ, and you claim to be a believer, why don't you begin to pray earnestly, Lord Jesus, this week, I want to share Christ. Give me the chance to share Christ this week. There's plenty of people that need it. I shouldn't have to point you to any of them. Plenty of people need Jesus. Let's produce some fruit in his name. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, he died for you. He died for you. He loves you. He does not want you to end up in judgment or condemnation. He wants to save you through his blood, through his death, through his resurrection, that you might have eternal life. He loves you. And don't miss him. Trust him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful that you don't sugarcoat things. You don't hide things. I'm grateful, Lord, that sometimes we have to wrestle with the truth that we read in your word and be confronted with our own sinfulness and our own spiritual conditions. I'm grateful, Lord God, that, that you were victorious over death so that we would know and walk in confidence that we will be victorious as well. And I pray, Lord, for those that don't know you today, that today would be the day of their salvation. Whether they have been a church member, been baptized, prayed a prayer, Lord, if, if they haven't been changed through their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, have your way as we respond to you this morning. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Our pastors will be down front. We'd love to talk with you, like to talk to us about Jesus. Smile.
grace to be here this morning to worship you, to love you, to hear from your word, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be convicted, Lord. Do your work in us. I pray that there wouldn't be a person here this morning that doesn't know the glorious grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through him. There's such hope and such peace, Lord. And I pray that, Lord, if, if they aren't saved, that you do that work to draw them to yourself and to, to draw them quickly, Lord. May they not miss a moment with you. I ask you to bless us as we leave this place. Thank you for these men and women, these boys and girls. Bless every aspect of our lives, we pray. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're having our newcomers lunch, by the way. If you're recent to College Heights, we'll be meeting over in the gym. Love to get to know you.